Welcome to Weed Week. I'm Alex Halpern. And I'm Donnell Alexander. This is the Weed Week podcast. You can subscribe to our free newsletters, Weed Week, Weed Week California, and Weed Week Canada at weedweek.net. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Weed Week News. Got any feedback? Write to us at hello at weedweek.net. We are also doing a Patreon campaign. If you haven't been to our page, you should check it out. Not just because you can figure out ways to support us and get rewards, but also because we have a lot of content that you might not see in there. So rummage around inside the Patreon page. Our supporters will get at least one free podcast a month as well. At least. But there's other things. You know, It's not just an audio treat. It's a, it's a sensory overload. There are these cool bags. We've got this, the auto grinder and cone filler, which is just... A really cool gadget. And we have Weed Week papers. I think we need to get something for people who vape, too, for the next go-round. But, you know, you got to crawl before you want. Exactly. So today we've got an interview with critically acclaimed author Gary Phillips. And he talks about some of his work, including his his newest. Yeah, um, it came out in February, and it's called Bebop Barbarians. There's weed in it, and that's the main reason I brought him on here, because I think he's just a great storyteller. And when we talk about weed and jazz, that's really fun. But, you know, we were talking... And it's a graphic novel. It's a graphic novel, very important. But we were talking about weed and literature, you yeah. know, and why it doesn't work sometimes. I mean, I, I'm not the guy to really be the literary critic, so I was thinking oh, about... Oh, come on. <laughs> all the great... Janelle has published at least two books. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I don't read the right things. Air quotes are implied here, but I was thinking about Inherent Vice, and you ever see The Wonder Boys? I haven't read these books, but these are films about weed, and they sort right. of... That's with, the Michael Chabon. Yeah, yeah. With, with Michael Douglas. Yeah, the that one. Uh, the Wonder Boys is, and he has a second one set in Berkeley. I can't remember that either. Do you read books about weed? Well, here's the thing. I mean, I I, I feel like a lot of books have been inspired by weed, or maybe have some weed moments in them. But I don't know if there's a lot of great writing about weed, especially literature fiction. You know, you have like the Beats who, you know, in, enjoyed their tea from time to time. Tea, yeah. But they didn't really write about it to the point I remember. And if they did, it was probably insufferable. Yeah, I don't know. You know, um, my obvious choice, because it reached me when I was young enough to really dig it, was um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And, you know, he does have two bags of grass, but he also has 75 pellets of mescaline, five sheets of blotter acid, cocaine, uppers, right. downers, screamers. So it's not literally a pot book. Yeah, it also doesn't age that well. I was just going to talk about that, you know, because in general, that book doesn't age well. The writing, I think, is really clean and stands up well. But, you know, getting really hammered and tooling around Vegas isn't that romantic anymore. It's like a problem. You know, I even think (laughs) Hunter's persona would be just a problem today. (laughs) Unless he was a rapper, then they'd love him. But he's a really mumbly guy, which would also fit in today's mumble rap. But that's kind of inside, please. But if he was, you know, I mean, he'd be okay if he was spending money, but he wasn't, was he spending money? Oh, yeah, I think he was spending he was, money. It's true. He, he was spending money. So I he, think he did he it all, on, okay. all on Jan Winner's dime. I think he did all of that. <laughs> um, but one thing that's useful that I know lasts from um, Fear and Loathing, the opening lines, he says, I think, something like, we were just outside of Barstow when the drugs began to kick in. Yeah. And I used that when I did my Doc Ellis short interview, whatever. You know, I really wanted to call back Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas to tell the Doc Ellis LSD story. So I, I really called back to the opening of... 
Tell us what the Doc Ellis. Oh, it's it's about the story of Doc Ellis who threw a no hitter on acid back in 1970, and six months before he died, he told me the story. Amazingly, he told me just beautifully, like he was never going to tell it again. And I cut up this couple hours of tape into a five minute interview that I think it was on public radio here. Well, it was it was on all over, but it became a short film that you've probably seen or people. We're, you- we're going to dig that up. It's one of the five best things I've ever done. Oh, well, then all... we'll definitely do it. <laughs> Not counting this podcast, of yeah. course. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, we'll definitely do it. Yeah, find that. It's cool. You know, it's funny. In Colorado, I mean, they, they really liked Hunter Thompson because he, he was sort of from there. But I sort of feel like for a lot of them, he might it might have been the only book they'd ever read. <laughs> oh, that's some really screwed up. No, he wrote some really beautiful sentences until I think his brains got, you know, messed up. Yeah. No, and, and he did write Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas in the early 70s. So he, he was still in pretty reasonable shape. Yeah. No, I read him in the 80s. He, he kept it up. He was just really erratic. He had a column, actually, like a three times a week column in the Chronicle. That was very fun in San Francisco. Yeah. The yeah. San Francisco yeah. Chronicle? Yeah. And then he wrote for ESPN for a while. That's right. That was really not great stuff. Is that when you were at ESPN? Um, I beat Hunter <laughs> ESPN. No, we were in the same section of this page two thing. But, you know, it was it was not shining work. I don't think he, <laughs> no, I, I don't I, think he would have been proud. No, I don't think it's it's probably been anthologized. To to sort of try and segue into our into our guest with jazz, marijuana is really woven through the history of jazz. And yeah. it, and, and we're not breaking any news there, are we? Right, but in a way it's not with literature. It's almost it's it's a pillar of the art form. It's an oral thing. I if we want to talk about something interesting cuz I was thinking about why books don't work. Lit, books about weed don't work and so many songs do because it's an experience that's not specifically a literary experience. I was listening to this Frank Ocean song called um, Novocaine, which I think is one of the best pot pieces I can mm. think of. Uh, we had a link to that, but it's okay. a great song, really well written. Frank Ocean, I think, works because it's it's an all-around oral experience. And maybe that's why Gary's graphic novel works. You're not just functioning on one level. You know, you've got the visuals to go with the words. Let's hear what he has to say about some of this stuff. Cool. Girl, I can't feel my face. What are we smoking anyway? She said, don't let the high go to waste. But can you taste it? Little taste it. Novocaine, baby, baby. Novocaine, baby. I want you. Welcome to Weed Week, Gary Phillips. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Alex Halpern and I are here with a, one of the mystery writers who kind of define L.A. in this moment. Can I say that? Is sure, that too crazy? That. Sure. No, no. You say anything you want. No, though, I mean, it's your show. I think if you, if you stay around long enough and you're still putting out books and graphic novels, they call you an institution. I guess so. So, I ladies so. and gentlemen, Gary Phillips. That's right. I'm still upright. Still yes. upright. That's it. Always alive, Gary Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> so, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about your latest. We're going to talk about Bebop Barbarians. Fun to say, fun, to, fun say. to look at because this is a graphic novel, and I came to your work through novels and yes. short stories. You've made this transition, and I want to know what it's like, why you do it. Well, I grew up in South Central, so I always read comics. I was always a comics uh, fiend or nerd or whatever they called it back mm-hmm. then. And I've done some graphic novels before, um, but I, this was really kind of uh, one of those projects where I really was just sort of burning to do it. Partly because it's set in the 50s, and I use as my three main characters 
who are kind of inspired by three actual sort of black pioneers in comics, including, I might, I might mention uh, Jackie Orms, who was like the first black woman to have her own comic strip. Hmm. Uh, and so she's the inspiration for the, one of the characters here, Steph Rawls, in the, in the graphic novel. And the three characters' lives sort of intertwine as uh, the sort of civil rights movement is kind of jumping off, Red Scare is happening, and of course race relations are uh, rather tense uh, mm-hmm. here here in Harlem in the late 50s. And there's weed. And there's weed. There is actually, that's true. That is actually a good thing. That's right. There why, is why is there weed in this narrative? Well, there's weed in this narrative because, as you as you mentioned, Donnell, I mean, this is about uh, the undercurrent. I mean, you know, if, if, uh, if a graphic novel could have a soundtrack, right, it, it would be it would be jazz, uh, or this would, this would be jazz, and uh, you can't talk about jazz musicians without talking about weed, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so there, there you have it. So the characters in this are, are pioneering comics as well as musicians. Yeah, so it's kind of a well, they're not even musicians; they're like around musicians because they're like they're like hipsters. They like have cats. And so these people is, were these are, present in the scene. The photographers exactly. were there. Exactly. The mix. That's right. We talk about a lot of the animated cartoons from the early part of the 20th century. Those guys right. were they were around the jazz yeah, scene. They yeah. were definitely around the weed. Exactly. So when we, in fact, Alex, when we when we open the story, we're at like a, a kind of a house party happening in somebody's apartment. And we meet our three characters, but we also meet some incidental folks. And I might mention that Dizzy Gillespie shows up <laughs> at some point in this uh, in this story. Uh, so all of that's kind of intertwined uh, in the in the context of telling the story about uh, you know what happens to these three friends, what pushes them together, what pulls them apart. What do you think uh, culturally that moment was like? Because we've been talking to a lot of real pioneers in cannabis. And yes. That movement, movement, I think, is being very central to the last half of the 20th century. Well, that's, I mean, that's, uh, well, it's, I think that's all very interesting, and I think those are ways or facets, I guess, to, as, you know, we would talk about in terms of telling a story or telling aspects of the story. It was interesting to me because, you know, you, you and I were talking a little bit before and the whole notion of, like, how does, how did, like, weed affect uh, the scene, I do know, for instance, Coleman Hawkins, right? Great saxophonist. From, uh, the, from the 40s. From the 40s. I mean, uh, really central. Right. But when he comes back, he, he'd been away touring in Europe, and, and he sort of comes back to New York, I guess, in the late 40s after, after World War II. And he's, at that point, upset about sort of the sound of jazz because it's just big band and this and that. And, and he's like one of the cats who then pushes to really have a hard driving, what we would call bop, right? Bebop, mm-hmm. you know, as the, as the form for jazz that you got to push the boundaries, that you got to open this up and you got to express it. And I think in the context of that, obviously, as we know, you know, some jazz musicians, of course, went too far, right? I mean, you know, right. uh, Bird uh, got on the needle. Uh, and some, but some uh, managed to get on and off the needle. And some just managed to be really maintain, right? I think, isn't it, didn't Louis Armstrong, like, smoke <laughs> smoke weed every day? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, so t- uh, this sounds like a name drop, but it's just a great story. Um, Tony Bennett told me a story. That's great. <laughs> that, that, there we go. Oh, can I one of it? That's right. Tony Bennett told me a story on his private plane. Yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Once yes. about going to a dinner with uh, Louis Armstrong, who, in addition to being a big advocate of marijuana, was also a big advocate of bowel movements. <laughs> like these are the most important. <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably right. He's and probably right. He had yeah, an yeah. endorsement deal with this company for uh, this thing that was supposed to give you regular bowel movements. <laughs> this is great. 
<laughs> and um, so there's like this Danish uh, royalty or so, uh, I don't know what they are, right. but someone, you know, close to the queen at a dinner at Louis Armstrong's in Queens and Tony Bennett's there. At, at the end of the meal, he starts passing out this product that he has a deal for <laughs> and it looks like weed. <laughs> so this European royalty is like, oh my God, is he passing out marijuana? And and he says something, I'm going to miss, I'm going to mess up the, right. uh, the line, but he says, Get it out, get it all out. There you go. <laughs> it was yes. actually the, that's the good. Mar- that's very It wasn't good. marijuana, it was the It was the, it was the product. But that's, yeah. per, that's great, though. I, I like it that it looked like weed, though. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, the, he lived a long life. For, he did, that's for, right. For a jazz musician, there you certainly. Go. That's right. So, well, that's he right. stuck to weed. That's right, he stuck to weed. So I'm curious. You, you and read... bowel movements. <laughs> you can't quit bowel you movements. You can't quit bowel movements. No, you can't. You cannot underplay that. No, sir. No, sir. But you're. Unofficially a chronicle of history, correct? Or yeah, or or a, a kind of history. What does that mean? Well, it means that. Uh, uh, Are you hard boiled? Is that the deal? I'm hard boiled. I am hard boiled, uh, and of course that means that I sort of pick and choose, right? What I'm going to tell you, uh, as all as all fiction writers tell, as all fiction writers do. But somewhere in there, I guess there's a kind of truth. But you're right. I am fascinated by sort of history lost and found. So and, I, I, I asked that as a prelude. You know. Okay. You you watch scenes change. I, I yes. had a conversation with a DJ up north a little while ago about how marijuana changed rap music. Yes. You know, before before Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre got on, the lines would break differently, and there was more staccato stuff. Interesting. In the, I'm curious if you've if you've noticed that when you move from the '60s to the '70s, yeah. how pot in particular and drugs in general, general yeah. shape music. In South Central specifically. Well, South Central specifically, I think. Well, you know, as you as you know, Donnell, I think certainly there were uh, what's what's the word markers? I guess or you know uh, lines in the sand that that were drawn, and then and then as those things changed. I mean, certainly certainly I remember as a kid or as a teenager in the seventies and then into the early eighties when it got to be scary at one point to smoke weed because of. Uh, angel dust, oh, right? Yeah. Because, I totally remember that. 100%. Yeah, right, right. So that that got to be the scary part of it, and then and then sort of once you got past that, and then I guess it's really as crack made the scene, and crack sort of took took its hold that it did. That was kind of interesting. That's what I noticed. I remember like going to parties and going to sets, and and you would be kind of like find the, the weed smokers and the crack smokers were like these two distinct. You know, these two distinct uh, groups, and I think in and I think in turn that also didn't. Maybe because I smoked weed in those days, I remember really liking Funkadelic, and I don't think the crack smokers like Funkadelic. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, there were some Renaissance people in there. And if, you, if you look into George Clinton's history, <laughs> I think yes, he, he, well, yeah. he himself, maybe he's just a big enough man to that's take true. them both on. I guess so. That's probably true. That's probably true. To bridge that, to bridge that yeah. divide. That's right. Exactly. So b- before you wrote this graphic novel, you've, you've written novels and yes. history novels in the past. What what was it like writing a graphic novel after? Well, you know, like I said, Alex, I've, I've done some of it before. So the the main thing is like, like when you're writing a script, right? Like you know, TV script. And I've done a little a little of that. It's all about the visual, right? It's all about whatever's in your head and trying to make that as brief a description as you can on the page because in the end, either it's going to be shot or uh, in this case, it's going to be drawn. And so my job is really not to get the, the not to let the words get in the way. Of the of the good of the lovely pictures and in this case Dale Barry, who's the artist and and uh, 
check this out. James Brown is the colorist. Uh, <laughs> James that's Brown. it. That's right. Uh, but uh, you know, so my job is to let their stuff shine, and uh, you know, really, that's the that's the trip. The trip is not to overwrite. But it was the trip is not to overwrite anything. But the, really, in a graphic novel, it's certainly not to overwrite. It's just to make it as clean and as efficient as possible. Uh, and let them, because uh, you know they're the storytellers too. So you want them to, you know, you want them to be able to do their thing on the page. So um, we first started working together on an anthology called the Cocaine Pro- Chronicles. Yes, I'm sir. sorry, the Cocaine Chronicles. Many years ago. Yeah, yeah and yeah. Um, me, me, you, Jervy, right. Jervy Turbin. Yeah. No, no, actually, that was the best group of writers I've ever been with. Mm. They were amazing mm. names. It was. It was so good that stuff. Was a great thing. Wait, can you tell us what the Cocaine Chronicles were? <laughs> <laughs> no, the co- uh, you tell about the Cocaine Chronicles. It was a really nice anthology. It though. was a great anthology. Uh, Susan, Susan Strait Susan is in Strait it. Susan Strait was Lee in Child. Lee Child is in it, the, oh, wow. of, of Jack Reacher fame was in it. So the, and it was really Jervy's idea. So the idea was we collected. Well, here's the, here's the real Tell story. Us the whole real story. Dietrich Jones was in his class, mm. and she was one of his students. And she wrote a story which was pretty much true. It was about her parents who were crackheads who would steal her lunch money, right when she was in high school. And by the time she wrote the story, they were they were clean and sober, but it's it's both humorous and harrowing, right? As stories should be, and so that then got Jervy's brain going, and he talked to me about it, and then and then we invited writers like Donnell into the book to say, look, take it's a fiction, you know, it's a work of fiction. They're short stories, but tell any crazy story you want to tell. As long as you have cocaine somewhere in that story, Jerry Stalls. <laughs> Jerry Stalls, Jerry Jerry Stalls, Stalls in the anthology. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. About getting cocaine blown up a, up your butt <laughs> That's with, a, right. with a straw, which is anyway sounds unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. But well, you know, I guess if you you know moderation. Anyway, um, <laughs> so that was the the genesis of the book. Uh, the book did well for the small press, Akashic, and in, and in fact, then the book helped to then kick off. That's what I'm saying. There right, were more. right, there right. Were more. They, they they did they got into the noir series, but now they've come back and then they started to do the the drug series. So they've done the Speed Chronicles, they've done the Meth Chronicles. I think no heroin, heroin Chronicles, Speed Chronicles, and the, I think they've done the Meth Chronicles as well. well. What about the what about the Weed Chronicles? There is a Weed Chronicles. There is a Weed Chronicles. Now that I think about it. And that might have just killed off the series, but uh, <laughs> no, because then we tried to convince them to do a. Uh, we wanted to do a, a booze chronicles, but we, anyway. Yeah. But um, like the history of writing, we're, we're yeah, the history, more, exactly the history of writing. Exactly. We get more tame by the drug. By the drug, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I wanted to ask you about the Obama inheritance. Yes. What the hell is that? What the hell is that? It's conspiracy uh, theory. It's right. It's it all is conspiracy theories, and it all relates to to weed and and you know expanding your mind. Please tell me. I, <laughs> I, I know nothing. Um, and when did this come out? That came out last year, and but you and know, to be clear, this is a, a book you wrote. No, this is again another anthology that I put together. Oh, okay. And it's one of those things where uh, I pitched it to the publisher. That yeah, uh, the publisher, Three Rooms Press, and I pitched it as the um, election was heating up, and then I, and at that time, I guess we all thought that Clinton would win, and then well, what a surprise! But even then, I thought well. Wouldn't it be interesting as a kind of nostalgia piece to again ask writers to take any insane, crazy, off the wall 
social media driven theory about Obama. You know, he's beyond just he's from Kenya that, you know, he went back in time and changed his <laughs> birth certificate. <laughs> he's actually an alien, whatever, right? Whatever, whatever you, you wanted to take, whatever, whatever bizarre notion that floats out there from the, well, it used to be the fringe, and now, of course, it's it's center stage. But so take that and just run with the lizard men, whatever you want, Illuminati, whatever you want, and make it as insane, make it as crazy. And it's like the the one anthology I had such a light hand in editing because it didn't matter because it, whatever crazy thing you wanted to put on the page, as long as you told the story, it was great, it was fine. And so that's what we did. So the the Obama inheritance, fifteen stories of conspiracy noir is exactly that. Uh, and again, it was like one of those things. Actually, actually won a couple of awards, and and it did it did well, you know, for for the small press, sure. and we got and we got some love for it because, of course, once Trump wins, it was like you like you couldn't even keep up with the crazy, right? You couldn't even the book seemed tame by comparison. Hmm. Well, you know, I asked this many times. Where's the weed at? <laughs> well, in that book, there's there's some weed. There's some weed. There's I'm some, asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where, Do you not remember? Where? What? Uh, where's the weed in the, the Obama book? His college days. <laughs> oh, right. You're right. You're right. Oh, no, you said there was weed in the book. Are you just there's, talking about Obama? There's no, weed in but, Obama? No, but it does come up. You're right. It does come up with his college days, and it also comes up. Uh, in a story where uh, there is some time travel involved. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there you <laughs> right. go. Right. You know, so we confirm that for everybody. <laughs> yeah, where, yeah. where does he go? Well, he goes, uh, in this case, he's uh, from the future and he comes back to the past. Oh. Yeah, but he's more of a Spock-like character in that particular story. He is kind of Spock-like. He is Spock-like, yeah. You should get this into his hands. Oh well, yeah, no, we 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 thought about it. We we it was one of those things where somebody was a friend of a friend kind of thing, and we tried our best. But yeah. you know, yeah, to get on Obama's reading list would be a real yeah. Honor. yeah. <laughs> He's got a big, tall reading list. Yeah. I think. I mean, he yeah. seems voracious. He yeah. seems the opposite of Trump. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is that. I'm always amazed that the presidents are able to read. Bush read during all yeah. that. He read a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, I wouldn't mind uh, Trump holding it up, denouncing the book. That would still help sales. It's not, you know, either way, you know, it'd be great. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, let's see. So what are you working on next? What are you working on now? I'm always... Uh, well, before you answer that, because that's such right. a stock question, I have to ask, are you actually able to pay the bills with all this writing? Well, uh... Am I gonna, you're going to say define pay the bills. I was going to say define to pay the bills when you're an old man. No, I am, but only because I've recently had a foray into Hollywood in my, um, in my golden years. Yeah. Can you uh, speak on that? Yeah, I can speak on that. Uh, uh, I've had now I've had several books optioned in the past, but I actually had a gig. Uh, speaking of crack in the eighties, uh, working on uh, Snowfall, which is a show set yeah, in, in, in yeah in the eighties. Uh, so the third season is upcoming. So we, I was part of the writers' room. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah it was we actually had Rick very Ross cool. on the show. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, man. That's a good episode. Oh, Go back and revisit I will do that. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's terrific. So, yes, exactly. So, Rick Ross certainly is the, uh, again, is the inspiration for our main character, uh, Franklin Saint, who is our uh, young uh, kingpin in the making, who, in fact, gets his dope from his CIA connection. Interesting. Worlds come together. Worlds come together. Okay. So, we, we know how to find you online. Is it G.D. Phillips? What I think it? it is gdphillips.com. It sounds like a profanity. It something. Yes, <laughs> yes it is. That goddamn Phillips. That's right. <laughs> and, and I know you're around town. Um, I am around town. I think we're both going to do a gig at the Pasadena uh yeah the lit fest right they didn't tell you yet mm, they told me something oh, okay it's yeah a, I, you it's know. happening be there okay good 
All right. Thanks for coming through. Well, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, y'all. And yes, remember, go out there and buy some Bebop Barbarians and smoke your weed. Yeah. <laughs> Peace. Thanks yeah. so much. Thank you. That's our show for today. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Weed Week News or email us at hello at weedweek.net. Tell us about your favorite weed-inspired work of art. And also, don't forget to show us some love on iTunes by giving us a rating or leaving a review. It means a lot for the show. For more cannabis news, you can sign up for our free newsletters. You know them. Weed Week, Weed Week Canada, and Weed Week California. You can get all of them. Subscribe to them at weedweek.net. I'm Alex Halpern. I'm Donnell Alexander. Our producer is Hannah Smith, and Alicia Beyer wrote our theme music. Additional music is from the late, great Andre Bush. And we're out of here. See you next week. Peace.